Camp Podcast. This is a show dedicated to the pursuit and promotion of upland birds, specifically the rough grouse. So if you like sitting around a campfire with your favorite bird dog and two brothers from Michigan who love talking about upland hunting, this podcast is for you. So let's put another log on the fire and start the show. This is Bird Camp. Episode number two of Bird Camp, August 2020. We're sitting two weeks from opening day of Rough Grouse in Michigan. Today's guests are Christy Sitar, Michigan DNR biologist. We have Jim from Bark River Knife to talk to us about equipment. We'll talk about the gym areas briefly and move into our first cubby feedback on trips and falls with an entertaining story. All right, welcome to episode two of Bird Camp. What have you been up to, Kevin? Oh, I wake up in the morning, and it's nice and cool outside, and my thoughts go north. I'm ready for bird camp. How many days till hunting season? 16 days till the opening of rough grouse, and the rough grouse season is September 15th to November 14th, and then the December hunt, the same as it's been. Five daily tenant possession, and zones one and two. You have that all up in the top of your head, huh? No, I, I'm, I'm cheating by looking at the great... <laughs> website by the Michigan DNR. Uh, sharp tail season's um, very limited geography, although we were looking at the maps and it seems to have expanded some from previous years to the west in the eastern upper peninsula. And that season's running as it has before, October 10th to the 31st. Woodcock season is September 19th to 2nd. Uh, that's, uh, I, I'll backtrack here, it's two daily on Sharptail, four in possession, six for the season. Woodcock is three daily and nine in possession. Um, Woodcock season seems a little different to me. What do you remember, brother? For some reason, I thought it was later in the season, but maybe you're right. Maybe it's longer. I'd have to go back and look at the press, past guides, but it seems like we were always hunting later in the year for a Woodcock, but maybe not. Don't remember. Well, I'm sure it's a lot of it's based on the migratory, you know, patterns and when they're migrating. Well, a lot of the times you're like deep in the swamp hunting woodcock anyway, so you don't know what time of year it is by the time you come out of there because you're soaking wet. Daylight in the swamp. It's yeah. all dark. And Daylight in the swamp. Daylight in the swamp. A great lumbering term that was in our family. Okay, let's go back to uh, rough grouse versus sharp grouse for our uh, new listeners. I'm sure a lot of our listeners know, but what's the difference in just looking at a sharp tail? Versus a rough tail, Kevin. Generally, what you see in a sharp tail, first of all, they're in different geographic areas. Uh, rough tail grouse are woodland birds, obviously, and they're generally in the woods, and they're, you're looking for aspens. Uh, they're they're a very peculiar looking bird, but not as much as the sharp tail. Sharp tails tend to be a little bigger, uh, maybe a third or a quarter bigger. Uh, they're more in the open areas as far as habitat. They like the clover fields and along the tag altars. And, uh, but, but as far as just the looks, other than habitat, sharp tail obviously is called sharp tail because... They have a sharp tail. So if you make your hand into a tail fan, this is kind of weird, but the middle finger on your hand, there's one feather that sticks up from their tail fan. Yeah, they're always flipping you off when they're flying away from you. Yeah, and... Uh, and uh, 
they tend to cubby up a little bit more. You'll see them in groups more than you will other sharp tail, but that's the main distinct is size in the tail feather. I think sharp tails are actually a little bit smarter than rough tails, but that's that's just my personal theory and it's a conspiracy. It may be a conspiracy theory, but I'll tell you, a sharp tail is, is a hard hunt. It's a hard hunt. The terrain's usually not as hard, but they are wily. In the, and uh, I, I don't know if it's a scientific fact, but I've heard they're related to the roadrunner. You ever get a sharp tail on the ground, you might as well not even chase after them because they can really scoot. On the yeah. Uh, one other physical difference that you'll notice is down on their, on their claws, uh, the rough-tailed grouse's feathers end where the feathers on the sharp tail go down through their their claws, I guess it'd be called. And um, you'll see their feather all the way down and it almost makes a little webbing, which I'm sure is for them to walk in deep snow. So that'd be the other physical difference. Cool. And uh, we know woodcocks, those are like the little small dinosaurs that we hunt. Oh, I, I, those are very easy to pick up. You, you'll always find them in the damper areas. I, I hesitate in bird hunting to say always, but... Uh, they have a very long beak. Uh, they're very different looking. They're, they eat earthworms, so they have a beak uh, probably two, three inches long to go down and retrieve worms. Um, probably larvae too, I'm sure. And the other thing about woodcock is it looks like their wings are set way down towards their pterodactyl. lower end. So they look like a funky airplane maybe or yeah. a pterodactyl. When they go up, it, it's like their wings are too far back. Um, and uh, flight characteristics are completely different than grouse too. Uh, our, our experience is woodcock, if you kick them off a trail, they'll come right at you. They'll, they'll, they'll go up about 10 or 12 feet in the air, pause for a second, and then they go straight line. Yeah, and they make a different sound as, as a well. A whistling as, sound, right? Yeah, yeah, and they, even when they flush, they're, they're just, it's a, just a different bird, obviously a different sound. And, and the dogs, the, remember Jake, he was a woodcock dog. That's all he cared about. He didn't he liked to hunt grouse, but he was the woodcock guy. Oh, he was a woodcock dog. So sure. my dog Jake, English Sutter, he he was all over woodcocks. That was his thing. Yeah, he, that made him happy anytime he could flush up a woodcock. And of course, I remember one time we were on Drummond Island, and he kicked the same woodcock up three times, two times. We he got it into open area, and he's just looking at my brother and I because we shot at this thing several times, and neither one of us hit it. And the dog just finally sat down in between us and looked at us, calling us names. Oh, you're being nice to me, brother, because the last time he kicked that out of the rocks there on Drummond, that bird went straight up. He wasn't more than 25 yards with me, paused about 10 feet up in the air, and went straight over me. I emptied my gun and never touched it. And I just set my gun down and sat down and put my head down. And my brother's being awful nice to me because he was like, you suck. <laughs> yeah, the dog wasn't too happy with my brother. No, the dog, sure. the dog actually wouldn't look at me the rest of the day. He sat in the back of the truck yeah. and wouldn't even turn his head. He's embarrassed. The dogs face. are more competitive and have a better time at this. And a lot, a lot of people hunt just to watch their dogs hunt. Yeah. And, uh, it's a Another time, that same dog, when we were with a hunting party, and it was pouring down rain, kicked up a woodcock. And it, you and I were walking pretty much side by side. And that dog started running back towards us. And I'm like, what's he doing? That bird came from 40, 50 yards away and whistled. And I was trying to call Jake, the dog, back from... Because he, he he liked to range too much for, for, for hunting rough grouse, which is what we were hunting, hoping to see a woodcock. You know, you want these dogs to stay within shotgun. And I was still training with him, working with him, but he chased a woodcock. He didn't even point at it because he flushed it right away, right out of like this little, I don't know, 
hole off the trail, like a swamp area. And it came right, this woodcock came right in between you and I. It was so close to us that we both moved out of the I way. I had to duck. I didn't know what it was until it went by me. And you could hear its wings whistling when it went by. Oh, and, it scared and the crap we had, out of You know, we're very conscious of shooting zones. Well, we couldn't shoot at the dog. And by the time it went through us, we didn't, you know, it just whistled through us. Yeah, it went right up the trail. And then the guys were actually in front of us and walked by. The dog and the woodcock before Jake had actually flushed it because I don't know, and they're like, "What are you guys doing?" And they're <laughs> like, "You're not gonna believe this." It went right through us at head level. It, it was a great story. Okay, we want to move on to talking about uh, places to hunt. Of course, we have places that we always go. We have new places we always try, but. Uh, the Michigan DNR has set up gyms, and we want to talk a little bit about that. Um, introduce maybe some of our new listeners, new hunters to uh, gyms. Maybe we'll see some of our Covey listeners in the uh, the gym areas. But Kevin wants to talk a little bit about the gyms and how the state of Michigan, our tax money, is actually uh, increasing the habitat for rough grouse and um, helping, helping hunters and, and the habitat of rough grouse to increase. I mean, these gym areas started just with a few, and now there are several... And this gives excellent opportunities to upland hunters. Yeah, the gym areas, great idea where our, our hunting license fees and maybe our tax dollars, I'm not sure, go into. They're actually grouse enhanced management sites, thus the acronym GEMS. Uh, at one point, I'm going to say eight years ago, we had hunted all the gyms in Michigan, which was a, less than a handful. Now they're up to 19 sites. There's a couple right on the Wisconsin border, one at the base of the Kenawha Peninsula. Um, probably two-thirds of them are across the Upper Peninsula, including Drummond Island, which we mentioned earlier. Um, one of our favorites, I, I hesitate to mention that, is the Mackinac Gym area, which is just north of US-2 and west of the Mackinac Bridge. Uh, they're up to about six or seven sites in uh, lower Michigan, too. And what surprised me is some of those are almost down to Highway 10, which uh, whitetail hunters know. Yeah, that's the rifle line or the old rifle line in Michigan. So uh, the DNR has done a great job on getting 19 gyms out there. We have not hunted all of them. We've hunted probably a half to two-thirds of them. And these sites are wonderful. When you pull in, there are parking areas with maps, detailed four-foot maps showing you the area. Uh, you can also download the map right from the DNR site that... Right onto your phone? Yeah, right on your, your iPad, phone. whatever it'll you lead you right to it. When you get in there, you actually have a map of the site, too. And yeah. It's, it's beautiful because it'll show you the trails. Uh, the good news is these trails are well-groomed, and you can walk comfortably in most of them side by side. Not all of them. Some of them get a little tight. but And they're obviously, the DNR is doing a great job, is they're putting the right habitat in. So they're letting the aspen trees develop. And they're also... Uh, planting the right seeds and getting things. So it's a great habitat. We've had some pretty good luck in the gym areas. Um, Matt? And there are, uh, we were just told uh, that we'll come later in the show through an interview that we did uh, that they're actually increasing the number of gyms and actually getting some, what's it called, forestry area that they're um, coming out with some additional managed uh, areas that will be opening in the next few years. So that's kind of exciting. Yeah, the only thing I've seen on Sharptail on that, there isn't a gym area dedicated to Sharptail that we're aware of. Uh, 
I have seen some signs in the northern lower peninsula that shows they're trying to develop some habitat for sharp tail in oh, basically central northern lower peninsula. A lot of the, not to leave the gym topic, but a lot of the uh, sharp tail hunting is done on private land and a lot of that land is a pay-as-you-go. There's a little system there where you put your money in and it'll allow you to hunt this 200 acres or 400 acres. So just another thing outside of the gyms. But we've become pretty impressed with the gym areas. Uh, I will say from my personal opinion, you get on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday morning, you'll, you'll get other hunters there. And that can put you know a lot of hunters in a small area. You'll hear them, you'll hear the dogs and the shots. Uh, we, we've even, whether they're state or uh, forestry land around it, we've even poked around the edges of the gyms er gym areas and had some really good luck just off where there's probably a good population of birds, but the... Uh, on public land, of on course. On public land, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and sometimes private land with permission. Well, yeah. That for too, but because they're not getting the pressure because everybody's going to the gyms area. But I think the gyms area is helping the population even outside the boundaries of the gym areas. I don't know what your thoughts are, Matt. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the birds, when they get a lot of pressure, they, you know, like any prey, tend to leave the area. But, I don't know, we've been to gym areas more than once where we haven't seen anybody. So. Oh, yeah. It, usually, like I said, during the week, you don't see a lot of people. But it is a little more towards the weekends. You will get more people who are off work and hunting. Um, I can't say, I'm thinking back in my mind, but I don't think we've ever been over-pressured by other hunters in any gym area, even on the weekend. We'll run into one or two groups, but it doesn't seem to be bothering us or them. Right, right. I mean, the only thing you have is if you get groups of hunters with their own dogs, and you know you might have a couple dogs getting... Getting into it, introducing themselves to one another, doing some good butt sniffing or mm-hmm. barking at each other, but that's uh, not a big deal. That that can actually lead to some good conversation and fun. But yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a good thing that Michigan and the DNR, you know, increasing the number of gyms and giving everybody more opportunities to hunt rough grouse. I think it's a great thing. Right. I think it's a wonderful thing. Uh, like I said, you know, at first it was just a few spots and it was easy to cover those in one trip, but I mean, with 19 locations covering the whole Upper Peninsula, the northern half of the Lower Peninsula, I don't know if you could hit all of them in one short hunt unless you're retired. And then, maybe. <laughs> then you get the gym collar for your dog. Oh, they should do that. You should, you should get a patch when you... <laughs> with hunt, a bunch of gyms? When you've hunted all the gyms, <laughs> you get a dog collar with all the gyms. That, there you that's go. a great idea for the DNR. That's excellent idea. Just send me an email and a check to my checking account when you guys do that. <laughs> yeah, royalty. royalty. Ro- royalties for that. Well, do you want to lead into our, our next segment? With uh, We did an interview. Yeah, we our next segment, we did an interview with uh, Christy Sitar. She's a biologist with the DNR. Uh, it was a great interview. Uh, she was on the road working, and so you, you'll hear that maybe in the background, but she was just a wealth of information. We appreciate her time. And uh, we'll jump into that interview next here on Bird Camp. We're with uh, Christy, I'm sorry, Christy, is it Christy Sitar? Is that right? Okay. Uh, from the DNR, and you're a biologist with the DNR, is that correct? Nice, nice. And you're based out of the Newberry office, is that correct? Yes, 
Correct. And how did you fall into this? Uh, you went to school, obviously, to be a biologist. I did. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in biology and a master's in wildlife biology. Oh, nice. Was... Kind of, yeah, I always liked being outdoors and didn't really even realize I grew up in a really small, small town and didn't actually realize that this was a job until I went to college. So. Oh, that's great. And where did you go to school at, just out of curiosity? Sharp 
Yeah, that's what we experienced. Our family farms over that way, and that's where we started right. hunting sharp tail. Um, actually, sure. actually, it's. Oh, well, that's that's good. At least they're not down, right? <laughs> that's, 
I'm going to segue over to something else that will probably hit you more as a biologist. Is, um, West Nile virus. Uh, what, what's the latest update on West Nile virus within the bird population? Yeah, so what I recall, we've only actually had one report on that, um, even though we've been collecting data for a couple of years as a biblical model, of course, so we've had one report on that. I believe what I recall, it was quite a while ago that I saw that. I believe Michigan uh, was in slightly better shape as far as what's now something rough than Wisconsin and Minnesota. Um, and it wasn't as big of an impact as we had thought that it might be. Now, if you're, if you're actually interested in real numbers, I'm not going to be able to recall those after that. Oh, no. That's okay, Christy, but it is sure. still it's still a topic of concern, and yep. and something to keep an eye on. And I, I ask you, I, I I don't know if you know this or not, but as a hunter, when you bag a bird, what is it we should be looking for for West Nile, and what is the reporting? Do you have that information off the top of your head? So I think you folks are out there hunting. If you see birds that are really acting abnormally, then it would be great if somebody would be willing to harvest that bird and get it to us. We can have it tested. And that's, we can do that as simple as dropping off at the, if we were hunting in the Newberry area, we can just bring the bird to the Newberry office, is that correct? Well, I was just about to say that because of coronavirus, the offices aren't actually open yet. So just, uh, just phone, or, yeah. phone or email to make contact? Yep. Okay, excellent. Exactly. If you make contact with one of us, we can arrange to meet you there and pick it up. Um, and that, that should work out just fine. And the other thing is that I don't know if we're going to have any of those kits this year. The past couple of years we've given kits out to hunters in particular areas that we were trying to target um, so that they could collect the correct samples for us. Oh, that's... That, I, don't, yeah, I don't know if we're going to be doing that this year because things are still quite restricted for us. Well, but we could certainly take those birds Excellent. That's excellent to know. And besides peculiar behavior, what else would we look for? Would the birds be, if they are potentially West Nile virus infected, would they be thinner? Or is there any physical signs that we could look for as laymen? I'm guessing that, you know, the, the sign that's going to be the most apparent is the strange behavior because they would probably be exhibiting, um, you know, some other body condition signs as well, but I don't think those are things that you would notice. Okay, excellent. That's good information. Now, you kind of hit our yes. ne next topic a few minutes ago, is uh, the effect of COVID-19. Um, one thing I'd be concerned with with my background, do you believe that the COVID-19 is zoonotic, that we could pass it to the, to the uh, birds? Is that possible? That we could pass it to birds? Boy, that is... That's a tough one. question I have thought of. <laughs> um, to, be, to be fair, uh, I don't have that kind of knowledge. That, that's, that's completely you know, we, fine. We do, we do, our folks down in the disease lab would probably have some information about that, or at least some thoughts about that would be, that would be <laughs> better than just my guessing. Yeah, we don't want you to guess. Uh, are there concerns about COVID-19 with birds? Do you, do you, just overall, do you think it, there's... Not, not that I am aware of. That's all we're looking for. That's awesome. That's great. Uh, just a couple last questions. Uh, 
As far as COVID-19, obviously it not only affects the bird, it affects uh, our audience and us as hunters. Uh, what do you think? Is there any restrictions that I'm not seeing any restrictions on your DNR website, which is excellent. But uh, also places to stay are, are how how are the businesses doing up there? Restaurants and hotels. I mean, just as a general observation, as a person, I mean, is there going to be yeah. things for the hunters to do as far as eating and staying? Yeah, it looks to me like businesses are open. Um, hotels are open. I think by seeing Most restaurants don't want us grouse hunters in there anyways because we usually don't smell very good. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, the weather and the cover, uh, how, how are the leaves looking? Are you seeing any turns at all or any yellow or red coming up? Is it looking like an early for the leaves to drop? Or Well, so Thanks, Christy, for our first interview here on uh, Bird Camp. We really appreciate that. Hope to uh, talk to you again in the future and maybe talk with some other bio biologists from different areas to get some of the information about uh, upland hunting from them. So that leads us to uh, our next segment. 
we're going to talk about something we talked about on our intro, if you haven't listened to that, but we brought up the topic of, we, we're, we're looking for some feedback for your best stumbles or falls and while you were hunting from, from you or maybe somebody in your party that is, we're looking for something kind of funny. Um, so we got some feedback from uh, one of Kevin's friends who listened to the show, and uh, we're going to go ahead and talk about that a little bit. Yeah, this is a kind of fell into the stumbles and falls and uh, got a call immediately saying you have to tell this story. So the character we call in this story, which is a true story, we call him Philson. And uh, he's Phil's son. And this was a story from, oh my goodness, 15 or 20 years ago. We were hunting and staying in grayling and we were at the end of our long hunt. And we had one more good day. The weather's going to be glorious. And we had a great hunt the day before. Bagged several birds, saw a ton of birds. And so we were lightening up that night and having a good time. And um, Philson decided to switch off his normal beverage diet and come over to the dark side, meaning dark beer and sweet Irish cream whiskey. And I gave him a warning saying, you may want to be a little careful. You're mixing two things and into an unknown, unknown. Well, it went into it later in the night and we woke up the next morning and congregated at the trucks and we were standing there and Philson came out and he was a little yellow or green, somewhere in between that <laughs> yellow and green color, like some kind of baby poop or something, I don't know. And it's like, are you all right? He goes, yeah. I said, you want to stay here? He goes, no, 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 it's the last day of the year. So we go out with our other hunting partner. We're out in the woods. And our other hunting partner turns to me and says, you think he's going to be okay? Uh, he, and we were in a triangle pattern walking through the woods and, and down a trail, actually. And I says, you know, I think he'll be okay until he pulls the trigger. And as irony happens... We didn't walk more 25 or 40 more yards, and he was in the front firing position on those fields of fire, and two birds went up. Philson is a great shot. Boy, that bird, those birds went up, and he instantly downed one from about 20, 25 yards. And being behind him was the most beautiful sight in the world. He went instantly down to two knees, took a lateral tilt, and just fell over on his side. <laughs> <laughs> we, we got up to him, you know, 10 steps behind him or five steps. I forget what we were. And we're me and the other guy are looking at each other, and I look down. And, and the only thing he's hearing is... <laughs> I think he was he had a 20, I think, side by side. And he didn't even get the second shot up, which was a clean shot of the second bird. And, and I'm looking down, and he's laying there. His eyes are fixed, and he's straight, and he is on his side with his gun. And I says, here, I said, brother, just be still. And I reached down and flipped the safety on his gun. And, safety uh, first. And uh, then we went and got the bird and came back. And I says, Phil, are you going to be okay here? And I says, what, you want me to go get the truck? And he goes, no, I just want to lay here. I says, all right, if we, you know, it was our last walk of the year. I said, all right, if uh, we go in, uh, he goes, just leave me here. I'll be fine. He was in a very safe area out in the middle, you know, without a lot of trees around. It's like, okay. Well, we went and walked for another hour, maybe an hour, 20 minutes, come back. He's still laying there, dead asleep, <laughs> gun in the same position. Sound asleep? Sound asleep. Snow, you, we could hear it snore for 20 yards away. Walk up. And I says, well, let's go get the truck and bring it to him. I said, I'll do that. You stay here. I said, just, just let him sleep. We came back and uh, got some water in him. And he sat up. And he goes, I didn't puke. I said, well, that's a good thing. Or is it? I said, here's your bird. Because his eyes weren't even fixed on the bird when we showed him the bird. And he goes, 
wow, that was a mistake last night. He goes, so there's your stumble and fall. And I just got to paint the picture. He pulled up. It, it's always beautiful from behind. I know you've seen me do it, and I've seen you do it, Matt, to see somebody pull the gun up perfectly yeah, and drop the bird. because that's what you're looking he for. He pulled that trigger, and he literally went right down to both knees and tipped over to the side and never moved again. It was a great stumble and fall story. So that was our first feedback from the Covey on that. That's not really a technically stumble and fall. That's just a... If you can't play with the big dogs, maybe you should stay on the porch. <laughs> I think he learned his lesson. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right, that was our first one. If you have any more feedback, send us a message. We'll uh, tell you at the end of the show on how to do that. Let's talk about a little bit of equipment since we're, what, less than 15? 15 days away from opening day, so everybody's probably thinking about, oh, what am I going to take hunting? Got to take some orange, got to take a gun, got to take maybe another gun, some shells. But what if I get a grouse? I mean, you know, I got to take some bags, put the grouse in. Mm-hmm. Get some cooler and some ice, but nice. what about knives? Knives are important to me. I, I hate to admit how many knives I have, and I don't even know. Uh, I, I typically carry two and a, a pure cleaning knife with a gut hook. I'm actually, as you'll hear in the upcoming interview, I, I always like carrying a fixed blade knife on my belt just because how many times do you need it to cut something or open something? So go ahead, Nick. Yeah, a knife is uh, something that every hunter has to carry. Um, we did do an interview, and um, we're kind of segue into that with um, Jim. From Bark River Knives yes. in Escanaba. Sorry about that. From Bark River Knives up in the uh, Upper Peninsula, which is one of the finest knife manufacturers in the world. Um, a lot of people don't know about them. Um, they sell a lot on the internet, but uh, we encourage you to take a look. They're not a sponsor of the show. We're just we just love their knives, so we're gonna pump them up a little bit. Anything else to say before we get into the interview? Uh, no, if, if you're not pumped up about knives, you will be after this interview. You can hear Jim's on fire, and uh, they've got some new products coming out that I encourage you to look at I know I'm going to be looking at alright here we go we're uh, start playing that interview and uh, thanks again to Jim here you go this is Burr Camp a podcast about upland hunting and uh, grouse hunting in Michigan I, I've actually been in your store and uh, are you are you still open the store because of COVID or are you, are you uh, limited hours where, where are you at on the COVID part um, we are um, That's excellent to know. That'd be good for our listeners because you are a frequent stop of ours in the past. So, um, we're we're consider and we're you we know, but we'd like our listeners to know where you're located at. Website is Bark River Knives. Yes, BarkRiverKnives.com. Excellent. That'll give you. We're, we're also on Facebook. Oh, you're on Facebook too. Excellent. We did not know that. So there's several ways the, the listeners. We call our listeners the Covey, which is you know a group of birds when you're bird hunting. Do you, what do you have uh, currently in inventory for uh, bird hunters that would be interested in? We all carry multiple knives with us. Uh, give us a rundown of what you have. Sure. Well, I'm 
Not a problem, guys. You guys have a good day. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thanks, Jim. That was awesome. I just want to go buy a Bark River knife now, don't you? Oh, I'm probably going to. Probably shouldn't, but... I'm actually taking the family up to uh, Escanaba maybe this weekend or next, and uh, I might have to stop in there for sure. Yeah, by appointment only right now. Isn't that what Jim said? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but that would so be nice. So, what, what are you excited about for this hunting season? You know, I've been thinking about that a lot, and uh, I'm just not sure where to go. You know, if I'm going to hunt with you... Of course, I have the dogs. You don't. You're dogless right now. Um, where we're gonna go? Uh, we talked earlier when we weren't recording about um, setting up maybe in northern lower, which is kind of cool. Going from there. Yeah, that, that's uh, a possibility. Going back to our old bird camp, basically. Yeah. And setting up there. Uh, I'm a little bit excited about the sharp tail season. I saw the expansion of the territory or the hunting area on the DNR map. Uh, yeah, and earlier in the podcast, Christy talking about seeing sharp tail over there and basically a central UP. That's unheard of. That, that, that is well outside of the current hunting areas, which have expanded uh, to the west. So that's some excitement. Uh, as far as the sharp tail part of it goes, I hope to get up there into the eastern UP and one thing I I really did quite a bit of last year was we popped around what's called the HAP areas. Uh, I don't know if our listeners are familiar with that. It's a hunting access program rules. Uh, it's for other species and other hunting too, but what you found out in the eastern UP a lot of the hay farms, which is a big hay farm area of the sharptail habitat, uh, they have these hunter access programs where you can pull in there's usually a sign on the road, a small sign, and you pull into a driveway, and there's a pole there, and you usually it's a nominal donation, and it, it, you leave your address, and then you can go hunt the hunt that area. One. There, so, so wait a minute, I've never actually hunted these areas. So this is just private landowners, right? It's private farmland, and it's there are many many of them and they're posted you can get it onto the dnr website i just noticed that the maps for 2020 aren't there yet for bird hunting but these are sharp tail specific areas uh, a lot in the barbo area and south of sault ste marie and some of the you can access for the the fee may different i don't actually remember what the fees are it's like five or ten bucks oh so it's a minimal fee it's a minimal fee um, and some of these areas are 600 acres. And wow. so for sharp tail hunting, you want those big open areas, you know, you want a little bit of habitat, but it'll be, you'll go in a mile and there'll be a 200 acre, a hundred acre and a 600 acre area. So I'm a little bit excited. I've not done a lot of hat hunting in my career as a grouse hunter. Yeah, I have not either. Last year I did a little bit more. Uh, the problem we had last year was so wet it was almost impassable in some of the fields because of the uh, geology of the soil. So I'm excited about the half areas. Um, that, that's probably my biggest one. Hopefully I will get up all the way up you and I and do, do some sharp tail hunting. And uh, I'm always excited to rough grouse hunt too. And uh, we've been kind of exploring some new areas on that too. I can't wait to go sharp tail hunting and look for that scout. I'm going to nail him. <laughs> You're going to nail scout? That's a I'm good, taking scout out. That's a good story. We were frustrated one year. and This is on the family farm. This family is right farm. in the middle of sharp tail. Old, the old sharp tail grouse oh, it is, hunting area, which was smaller than It was the epicenter. Of course, we're hunting on family land, so it's private land. Nobody really pressures it. And We had a frustrating morning, and we 
look up and on a big hay bale, probably 80 yards away, there's a bird sitting up there, which we had figured out that's the scout. The other birds are on the ground. That one's just yeah. being the scout. And we had had a, we were getting shots, but we weren't getting close on anything. And all of a sudden we get about 40 yards away and I look over my brother and he goes, the scout's done, essentially, not quoting. And he picked up his gun and shot that scout right off the bale. And then they all flushed and we got more shots off and took a couple birds out of it. Yeah, but prior to that, you're leaving that part of the story out. We would see one bird from a distance sitting on a round bale looking at us or like guarding the rest of the flock who are down on the ground, which we couldn't see. We'd like quietly walk up because sharp-tailed grouse is a little bit more open. It's almost more like pheasant hunting. Yeah, literally. And the way where we were at, at least. And we'd walk up and all of a sudden... The sharp tail, this lone, what we call scout bird, would just, once we started getting close to ranging, I think we were without dogs in, were we? Or I don't remember. I think so. Um, the the scout would just take off and fly over the rest of the flock, and there they'd go. So every time we'd get close, the scout was, like, looking out for us. Uh, I had it. I'm like, I'm taking the scout out. And he did. And he did. But then we noticed there's a new scout, so. Yeah, and the funny thing about the scouts, when you get close enough, they're getting nervous. You can see them dancing from foot to foot, or claw to claw, or whatever it's called. Yeah, kind of like deer do when they and, flap And they start the moving their head around, and then they're getting, you know you're making them nervous. And so, and it's such an open area, Sharptail Honey. You, you just got to go super slow and get as close as you can. And uh, so we call that one Kill the Scout. So kill the Scout. Kill the Scout. But, yeah, that, that was the... That was, uh, that's what I'm looking forward to. I want to try the HAP areas. Uh, hopefully we... Uh, Sorry about that. Okay, it sounds like a shark tail when it takes off. A shark tail <laughs> sound when they take off, not their wings. Their vocalization sounds like between a kitten and a little baby. It's just very similar to that little sound. And looking forward to that. I, I, I am looking forward to visiting some of our old haunts we haven't seen in a while. and seeing how they've developed. And that would be... Kind of fun. What about Mecca? You gonna go to Mecca? You're gonna go to Mecca. I, I don't know if our Covey does this, but we we name all of our places. Just so they're easy to remember. The Honey Hole, the Road to Mecca, Mecca. Uh, man, we have dozens of them. You know, sometimes they're named after an event like Tom's First, which is one of our honey partners, uh, Doc, Dr. Tom, and we. Uh, so we have uh, several things. You know, we have nicknames for our areas. Just you know, instead of saying. It's on 42nd Mile Road or whatever. We, we have a specific name. So shoot us some of those if you want. That'd be interesting to hear the names of your place. I know we're not going to get the locations and we're not asking for them. But. Um, going back to what we first started talking about, the uh, the haps? Is that what you call them? Yes. Oh, are they online? Where, you said they're not out yet for birds, right? I'm online right now. Um, but are they normally posted there? So Yes, they are on the DNR site. With a map and everything? And it says an online list of the properties. That document is not downloading, which may be my computer. Uh, but there is generally a map, and it says right here's, uh, uh, right here's, how about right here, uh, for hunters list of hat properties, but that didn't download. Usually they don't come online until about September 1st, if I remember right. Um, just some background, they originally created these in 1977, and um, it, a lot of it's in southern Michigan, obviously, for deer hunting. Uh, the East Rock Peninsula has grown uh, dramatically. There are many, many of these sites for sharp-tail hunting for our covey here. Uh, it, it, it's a very interesting program, and 
gives you a lot of land to cover. Uh, Sharptail is a little hard because the far old farm fields just basically aren't state land, so you have to have a different access point. We've been pretty blessed our whole lives of having a family farm at the epicenter of the Sharptails, and so that's how we got into it. But well, as well as where we set up in uh, central northern Michigan with a friend of ours who allows us to uh, keep, a, keep a, a camper there or right. rent us a cabin um, nearby. Yeah, so. that, that's a real interesting about that. That That is a great rock grouse area. I think we counted up on my maps. I think we pulled 70, 80 birds out of there the last 20 years, something ridiculous. Yeah. And that's not one specific area. That's in like a 25-mile circle. And uh, you look at that, uh, going back to Sharptail, we actually last year saw that there's a Sharptail sign near there too in an open area, which was kind of interesting, far, far from the eastern UP couple hours so uh, I, I just I, in the go back to the gym areas there's some new gym areas I think we need to try yeah and so we got a lot to look forward to personally for me I you know we talked about equipment was nice uh, I, I have a new gun so I'm looking forward to I finally broke down 40 some years into hunting and bought a uh, the newer Browning Sweet 16 Nice. Yeah, so I have... That's a semi on Yeah. What? Yeah, I know. See, see, real bird hunters, you hold your hand up and you go side by side with two fingers or over under, but... The over under is the only way to go. The only, yeah, see, everybody has their opinion. Or if you're a true man, you go single shot. Single shot. <laughs> you get birds with a single shot, you're a man. Still want to try the judge, the Taurus judge, get that One out. One in each hand. <laughs> I don't even know if that's legal. I, I don't know. Yeah. It'd be nice handling a dog to carry a judge around, but you know, it's basically a 410, so. Yeah, it's a 410. Nothing wrong with a 410, but on a handgun? Eh. Oh, your range would have to be like 15 yards. <laughs> but I, I'm looking forward to trying the new gun out, retiring my old gun grandma a little bit, not fully, just uh, uh, I have a. I hunt with a BPS 16 gauge. I'm kind of a 16 gauge guy, but brothers over under, I've always been side by side. But the one thing about bird camps, the one semi auto nobody gives you crap about is a sweet 16. It's just, yeah, it can't goes, go wrong goes with back that. over 100 years since John Browning brought that gun out. And um, I'm, I'm really, I've never hunted with a semi auto, so it's going to be kind of interesting. As I've gotten older, my eyesight's gotten worse. I'm not the best shot. So my idea is I need to get lead in the air. So we'll see how that works. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I'm gonna stick with my uh, CZ over under Uplander ultralight. I believe is the correct term. So I, I'm getting more and more attracted to that gun because of the weight of it. Well, you gave me the what did you give me recently to turn over to my son in time? Twenty-eight gauge. The twenty-eight gauge over under over under, which I have yet to shoot because you just it's, recently it's gave it to me to hold make, on to. Uh, it's a family gun. Remington or Winchester, but it's made in Russia. And okay. Um, I, I shot that gun a little bit and a lot of target shooting and uh, throwing clays and it is very accurate and very light. And the thing is, is, my CZ Ultra is a 12, 12 gauge and I, I held both of those empty in each hand and then I swapped. I couldn't tell the difference. They have to That's be amazing. within ounces. That's amazing. It's got to be within a few ounces. Uh, kudos to CZ if you want to be our sponsor. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Browning as well. <laughs> Don't need anything for it. Just love your guns. Yes. So, I, I just... As well as Browning. Uh, yeah. Browning, Browning, yeah, Browning. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, uh, we have some things to look forward to. And we have your pop. And 
this would be her third year, fourth year? Yeah, well, I was living out of state for a while due to uh, unfortunate job situations, you know, that movie around the country and my occupation. But this is going to be her third season, but the first season she was a pup, so. Oh, yeah, she wasn't even one. Technically, it's her second. So this is kind of prime time for her, and unfortunately, due to my schedule and my fault i haven't worked with her as well but uh where i live now i do have the property and i do walk with her almost every night and uh tend to run with her a little bit um she is pointing pointing a lot well i think the key for not that a game bird this year being a young, younger <laughs> dog is it'd be nice to get her on a woodcock a rough grouse and a sharp tail let her see all right that, right which means we're gonna have to knock them down which means we're gonna have to spend a lot of time in the field and yeah and, and i should have got some some doves or some some birds to, to work with her a little bit and unfortunately it's usually not the bird dog it's the bird dog owner that makes the bird dog either really good or mediocre so i've always had mediocre dogs yeah, it's been... They're more my wife's pets than a good bird dog, but... I've, I've hunted over probably two great grouse dogs, and boy, it is a night and day difference. And when they're good, you just... You see more birds than you've ever seen before, even in areas you don't expect, because, you know, that's what the dogs are bred for. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll do uh, our upcoming episodes. We'll, this isn't a gun dog podcast, but it's part of Upland Honey. So we'll try to bring the bird dog situation, or conversation, I'm sorry, back into the show. Um, I'd like to interview uh, the breeder um, who I'm friends with. And then uh, I have another mutual friend that I went to high school with who used a breeder. I believe it's up in Owasso. Um, my dog is a Llewellyn, and um, my friend's dog, I believe, is a Brittany. So... That's a whole different show. I mean, we can I can talk about dogs for hours. Um, well, that's what makes us great as co-hosts because you have the dog knowledge. I don't really have the dog knowledge, and uh, I, I I think we need to go in future episodes go into dogs, go into guns. Um, one thing that I don't hear talked a lot about that we I think we definitely need to talk about on a future episode is boots. There's nothing. Boots. Boot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Retired. Um, boots. Uh, there's nothing more important than the comfort of your feet when you're bird hunting. Oh, that's true. And uh, I didn't even tell you this. I, I have a pair of Rockies I bought at a specific boot store when I was living in another state called Georgia. And I've had those for, I bought those the first year I was down there. So this will be like my fifth year, fourth or fifth year. And I, I do some light construction work, you know, projects and uh both the soles ripped off those Rockies. Now they're repairable. Um, really? I could take them in and get them repaired, but, and, and they are super comfortable, but they've also, I didn't treat them, because I was down in Georgia hunting in dry areas. I didn't well, quail. Um, so I, I'm, I'm considering buying a new pair of boots in the next week or so. Well, I uh, dragged another group you weren't with me that week through a swamp in the UP, and I think that may have killed my old boots. So um, you're you're in the market as well for I'm a pair of boots. I'm thinking I may try and treat these because the thing about it is. Oh, you're gonna treat your old ones. You can't have these off your feet in a vehicle because there, there's some odiferous issue with these boots that is incurable, <laughs> incurable disease. But uh, <laughs> the funny thing is, as boots get old, they're so comfortable. Yeah, that's the thing. Of all my shoes I own, 
they're probably my most comfortable shoes and I don't use them except to hunt in but I'm going to have to water treat those or waterproof them I guess would be the right thing to do again uh, my thing on boots is I don't want to spend 30 40 50 bucks because they're not going to last and I don't know about the cubby out there but how much 30 40 50 is not enough oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah because <laughs> of the quality yeah, it spends a lot more other than people will go boot. to a real name brand boot and spend four or five hundred well i have the opposite you know i, I don't want to spend four hundred dollars because if they don't last three four or five years that's that's just a waste of money so i look at the mid-price boots the one thing i always look at is waterproof yeah not water resistant waterproof because all you bird hunters know we walk through some real thing and i think the one year we tracked it with uh one, one of our bird camp uh, attendees part of our covey is we walked 99 miles one year it sounds like an incredible distance but you break it up over two weekends in a week and you know we're doing five six ten twelve miles some days well those boots take a beating a beating so that's something else we should probably what, talk about. What do you think about Wolverine being there a Michigan company? I don't know of any other Michigan boot manufacturers. I don't do think you? there is, just Wolverine. And I mean, I know they're headquartered here. But I've had Wolverines. I've been happy with them. Yeah. I don't currently have them, but I kind of look for the mid-range. I don't like them. I like to have a shorter pair for uh, days where it's dry and, you know, you're not in too rugged. But I also like... Like high tops? A little more high, high top. I can't do that. I just tear up my ankles. I gotta go full boot all the way up. You go all the way up. I actually like the mid. Yeah. Chucka boots. We call those in the navy. Chucka boots. Chucka boots. Or boondockers. Boondockers. <laughs> that, I think might be a brand actually. I think, but so I, I like. I don't like the low ones. I don't like the high ones. I prefer the medium. I prefer waterproof. I tie my boots differently than most people. This was a learning experience, and so you I, don't tie them. No, I've I, noticed you don't. You walking through the woods, you both your boots are untied. Well, I, I cured that in the last five years. <laughs> what I do is I get really long laces, and I actually tie them in the back so they don't catch the brush and untie. And I tie them in the back, and I've learned to take my um, my bird pants and put over that. I've noticed when I tie them in the front, it catches all the limbs and twigs and everything. They untie quicker, um, but. Yeah, there are times I, my boots are barely tied, I admit that. I just, if I go barefoot, I probably... You know, another thing I look for in a boot is the weight. I don't want a heavy boot because it might not feel heavy when you put them on, but, you know, I always try to take two pairs of socks when I try on my boots. But I, sometimes you're going to go to wool socks if it gets in December in that cold hunt season. But you load your boots up after they get wet with some mud some leaves sticking to them after you've been walking six miles it starts to fatigue your legs it will, it will. even though if you're walking running preseason, getting in shape it's still a boot that all of a sudden's weighing feeling like a hundred pounds per boot i mean that that's one of my factors geez. it's that makes some really good comfortable yeah. i like the mid-size i want it has to be waterproof and i i really I'm with you. It has to be lighter weight because when you get out to that seventh, eighth, ninth mile, it feels like you got ankle weights on yeah. sometimes. So I, I'm very particular what I look at. I'm not very snobbish about it. I don't care what the brand is necessarily. Yeah, I remember once we were going up to uh, up north. I was riding with you, and 
Like I got pulled into Myers and you bought a license and a pair of boots. I'm like, you're crazy. You're gonna blisters on your feet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you're like, I need a pair of boots, man. You hit another point. You want to go single or double cotton socks, but later in the year, maybe wool socks. Another boot I won't consider for grouse hunting is an insulated boot. Yeah. I do not, you know, Gore-Tex is fine, but I do not want inner fur or insulation. Works great on canoe trips, duck hunting, though, doesn't it? Oh, that's a story for another podcast. <laughs> Let's take the 17-mile trip. That's a great idea. But So that kind of covered boots. We'll, we'll come back into it, maybe find a guest to talk to us about what's new on boots and the horizon. All right, that kind of wraps it up for this episode of Bird Camp. We're going to get around the fire, chill out, have a drink, and then head off to bed after that. But we do thank you for listening to uh, Bird Camp episode number two. We look forward to putting together our next episode. It'll be episode number three. And we'd like to thank our guest. Again, it's uh, Christy from the DNR and then Jim from Buck River Knives. Bark River Knives. I'm sorry, Bark River Knives. Excuse me, yeah. Jim from Bark River Knives. My apologies. Yeah, gr great guest too. Great guest. Boy, you, he's got some passion about knives. Well, that concludes episode number two of Bird Camp. We do thank you for listening. We would like to thank Christy Sitar of the DNR as well as Jim from Bark River Knights. You can, uh, if you're interested in knives, check out their website, barkriverknights.com. If you'd like to leave us some feedback, you can drop us an email at mi.birdcamp at gmail.com or find us on Facebook and feel free to leave us any feedback on our wallet there. We've also started a Patreon site if you'd like to help with the expenses to produce and promote this podcast we would appreciate it it's patreon.com forward slash birdcamp we do thank you to all the cubby who is listening to us and we hope to get out another episode soon prior to the opening season of rough grouse 